sermon section or your um, app, however you will. We'll read a few scriptures and I'll get you on your way. Uh, at least according to our weather forecast, it's not supposed to get below freezing until about 1. So uh, hopefully that, that bears true. But do be careful as you leave and head to your home. I appreciate you braving these elements. I'm in a series right now. And again, I'll just read a little scripture and talk to you for a few moments. And, and we'll finish this abbreviated service. <laughs> Amen. Or oh me. Life principle number eight, we're at, remember we're going to ten, this is life principle number eight, I call this the principle of commitment. The principle of commitment basically says this, that you've made a commitment that empowers you to follow through. Do you ever know anybody that has trouble finishing something they've begun? <laughs> uh, yeah, a lot of guys have that problem, though, when we start something and we don't finish it. But the Commitment says that when I have begun something, I am going to follow through with what I have begun. The New Testament uses this, a couple of words to talk about commitment. One of them is faithful. When you see the word faithful, that's often connected to the concept of commitment. Another word is the word endurance, because commitment creates a thing called endurance, and we are empowered to get through and endure tough times because of our commitment. Now watch this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12. I thank Christ Jesus our Lord who has given me strength that he considered me faithful. I think right there he's talking about a commitment. He considered me a man who has got a commitment that allows me to get through the things. Appointing me to his servant. So you see what happened is that God looked at him and saw a commitment, right? And because he saw a commitment... He appointed him to his servants, the servants. Now, here's what I want you to remember for this. If you're waiting for God to appoint you, if you're waiting for God to choose something for you to do, he's going to look at you and he's going to say, are you a person who is not afraid to make commitments? It amazes me that the most tattooed generation in the world has problems with commitment. <laughs> I don't have anything against tattoos. Uh, you know, me and Mickey are going to have a laugh about this. But you think about what a commitment that is. You pick a picture and you make a lifetime commitment to that picture. And, and yet it seems like so many things in this generation, people avoid commitment. They don't want to make a commitment. But if we're going to be faithful, it's going to be because it was born out of a commitment, a bone-deep commitment. Jesus, I make a commitment to you. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 12, we work hard with our hands. When we are cursed, we bless. When we're persecuted, we what? We endure it. There's talking about commitment. You see, commitment is on display when I am cursed. Now, that doesn't mean someone put a hex on me. <laughs> That means people are saying bad things about me. When someone says something bad to me, my commitment is tested. Because when someone is cursing at me, then I have an opportunity to show my commitment because my commitment says that I bless them in return. Say amen. And when I am persecuted, I don't throw in the towel and say I'm done. I'm not putting up with this. I continue on. I endure it. The Bible says in 2 Timothy 2, chapter 3, 
endure hardships as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Again, we're talking about commitment there, aren't we? Endure hardship as a good soldier. You know, it's, uh, it's something that if the Bible calls you and me a soldier, doesn't that presuppose that we're in the line of fire? Doesn't that presuppose that we're going to be attacked and at times we're going to be the one doing the attacking on the kingdom of darkness? What he's doing is calling us to commitment. It always kind of amuses me when I see Christians who are looking for a place, a church, a situation where everything is nice and peaceful. Can you imagine enlisting in the Marines and say, I'm signing up for that tropical vacation I'd, I'd like to lay on the beach, you know, sip a cold drink, non-alcoholic, and, uh, and, and just have things go by. The Marines would probably say, you idiot. I mean, they, the very reason we call you a, a warrior is because you're going to be involved in warfare. And they all said, <coughs> or duh, either one works pretty good right there. The Bible says again in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 12, If we endure, we will also reign with Him. If we disown Him, He will disown us. So he says this enduring that commitment brings is allowing us to receive the reward of reigning with Him. You know, one of the... Um, I have to say, one of the things I, I, I really wonder about the most is when John looks into hell. Remember that? Revelation 20, Revelation 21. He's looking into hell. And and he sees all those there. And he starts describing them. You know, the whoremongers and the idolaters and the liars. And he says, the cowards. The cowards. You wouldn't think that cowards would be in there with all, all those, but there's something about enduring hardship that puts us in a position to reign with Christ. Amen? So God wants to have a covenant with us, not a covenant like the Old Testament. The Old Testament had a flaw. Notice Hebrews 8, 9. I know I'm hitting you with a lot of verses, but then we'll, I'll slow down and we'll just talk about it for just a minute. It says, because they, speaking of the Israelites, did not remain faithful to my covenant, and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. So he says, I want a different covenant with you. I want a covenant that creates faithfulness. And my, my thesis to you is that in order to us to be, for us to be faithful, we have to have that commitment. Look what happens at the end of the age. It says, with him, that is, Jesus will be called his chosen his called, his chosen, and his faithful followers. They're fighting the battle of Armageddon and the faithful followers of Jesus. Now, I want you to get this. This is how I understand it. Could be wrong. <laughs> Possibly. But this is how I understand it. And believe me, I've spent decades trying to figure out how things are going to come about at the end of the age. That one day the trumpet of God is going to sound and we who are believers will be raptured. If you're already in the grave, your body will be resurrected and caught up to be with the Lord. If you're still alive, a few seconds or a split second after the body of the righteous dead has been raised, you will be changed and caught up to be with the Lord. 
The best I can figure out is that we're going to be up in heaven in a glorified condition for seven years, and we're going to eat for seven years and not gain a pound. I call it the married supper of the Lamb. Now, for seven years, we're up there celebrating and this married supper of the Lamb, this great festival, while on earth, they're going through hell on earth, which is called the Great Tribulation. At the end of that seven years, the Bible says the King of kings and the Lord of lords is going to get on a white horse and ride out into the eastern sky. The sky will split open, and he will show up just north of Jerusalem at a town called Armageddon, or a valley called Armageddon. And the Bible says the armies of heaven will be with him. And he says here it will be the faithful followers. Who's going to be with him? That's you and me, I think. I've got to take riding lessons. Can you imagine mounting up and following Jesus back to earth? And he says, when I looked at them, I saw those he called. Those he chose and those who are in a covenant relationship with him, those who are faithful to his covenant. See, now there's the commitment thing. Those who are faithful to his covenant. Jesus had his church growth strategy that kind of uh, worked a little bit like this. He taught, he drew a crowd and he thinned the crowd out. He taught, he drew a crowd, and then he thinned the crowd out, kind of like a blizzard does. <laughs> he taught, he drew a crowd. And he does that in, in John chapter 6. This huge crowd is following him, and he calls on them to do something they don't understand. He calls on them to do something that is spiritual and they're physical and they're fleshly. He says to them, and you'd have to be a Jew. This doesn't sound good to Gentiles, but to a Jew it would be an abomination. He looked at them and said, unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. Now we know in hindsight he was talking about communion he was talking about participating in the body and blood. But at that moment, it was an incredibly scandalous thing to, to say. Drink my blood. Eat my flesh. Wow. And the Bible says that from that time on, many of his disciples went back and no longer followed him. Here's what always happens on the true path. Are you ready? Don't slow me down. You don't have time. If you are following God... At specific points in that path, listen, God will call for a higher commitment. And that call will make you or break you. In John chapter 6, a crowd of people were called to commit to a Savior, to a Master they couldn't understand. Remember, he looked at Peter and said, right there in John 6, are you going to leave too? And I'm not sure what all Peter was thinking. <laughs> he might have been thinking, I don't understand what you mean by drink your blood and eat your flesh. It doesn't mean. But he said, where could I go? You alone have the words of eternal life. You're the only one I can go to. So even though I don't understand you, I'm hanging with you. That's commitment. You see, commitment is not understanding everything. 
Commitment is not being able to figure everything out. If, if I knew everything that God was doing and I, it all made sense to me, I wouldn't need any faith. I was talking to someone just yesterday about fleece. Fleece. You know what a fleece is? A fleece. Fleece. Fleece is where you put God to the test and you say, God, if you want me to do this, then you do this. So I have a sign that you want me to do that. Right? So somebody who's dating someone and said, God, if you want me to marry this guy, have him ask me. So that's a fleece. <laughs> it's also ignorant, but it's a fleece. You know? We can say, God, if you want me to do X, Y, Z, cause it to snow this afternoon. Or if you want me to do this, I'd like to see a check arrive in my mail. Those are the fleeces. And, and here's the thing that I say about that, that the church did that until Acts 2. Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit was poured out, they never did it again. Acts chapter 1, they cast lots to see who would replace Judas among the twelve. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit is poured out. And after that, they just said, Holy Spirit, what do you want? The Holy Spirit spoke, and they did it. So fleece is flesh. Now, here's the reason I took this journey. I'm so glad I didn't lose my place. Here's why I took this journey is, um, maybe I did lose my place. No. You are going to be tested. You're going to be tested. And here's how it's going to test God is going to want you to do something you don't understand. God is going to want you to trust Him at a level that is beyond your understanding. And that's where commitment comes in. All right, you ready to take a few notes? I see people coming in. Obviously, they didn't get the note. <laughs> so just hang with me here. People walking through the door and turn around and leaving. Conclusions about commitment. Let me give you some notes to, to ponder on this blizzardy day. Number one, the depth of our faithfulness always corresponds to the depth of our commitment. The depth of our faithfulness always corresponds to the depth of our commitment. You see, our faithfulness, follow this, is connected to and created by our commitment. Does that make sense? See, what is unfaithfulness if it is not the removal of a commitment? When you say someone was unfaithful to their spouse, what do we say? Their commitment to their spouse was lost, right? When they are unfaithful to their God, their commitment to their God is lost. So the depth of our faithfulness always corresponds to the depth of our commitment. Secondly, true faith is revealed by faithfulness. True faith is revealed by faithfulness. If we say we believe, our lives will always stand in agreement by demonstrating faithfulness. I'd like you to think about this for a moment. Can you comprehend unfaithful faith? Can you comprehend unfaithful faith? Because sometimes in, in, our, 
in our religious exercise, we get in that situation where we want to say, I have faith, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, I believe in the cross, I believe in the resurrection, and yet our lives are not demonstrating faithfulness. So we have an unfaithful faith that is missing commitment. Are you with me? Number three, the level of our commitment determines the scope of our endurance. The level of our commitment determines the scope of our endurance. What did I say? Say it back to me. <laughs> I have a word from the Lord for you. You ready? It's going to get worse. Times things are going to get very difficult. When I was in college three or four years ago, <laughs> I noticed that some of the students that I was in, in Central Bible College with were going uh, a few miles south of the campus that we were on to a little school called Southwest Missouri State University. It's called Missouri State University now, but then it was South. And and I, I asked someone, someone, why are you leaving here and going there, you know, after class and at night and all that? And they said, well, I've got to have a backup plan. <laughs> if this ministry thing doesn't work out, I need another, you know, another degree to fall back on. And, and I thought, wow, if I have a backup plan, what am I saying? I would be afraid I was saying, God. I'm going to walk down the path of your call on my life till it gets rough. And then I have an escape route. I'm going to bail. You see, the amount of pain we can endure will always come back to how committed you are to whatever you are suffering for. The amount of pain you can endure will always come back to the commitment you have made to the purpose for which you are suffering. Right? Why, why do almost all of us grow up with, with this incredible appreciation for mama? Why do we do that? Why, why do we... Why do we look at it? They say, they say uh, one of the, the biggest businesses to be in is Mother's Day cards. Not so much Father's Day. I'm not sure why we get gypped on that one. But Mother's Day cards, they fly off the shelf. And I'm saying, here's my theory. <laughs> you are still out there, aren't you? Uh, we grow up watching mom make so many sacrifices for us that we are so impressed with who she is. Her commitment to us was so unconditional that we just can't love her and appreciate her enough for what we saw. I remember times, I'm not, I'm not trying to sound pitiful, I remember times when I was a kid when things were very difficult financially to the point where Mom was watering down chicken noodle soup, <laughs> you know. And, it, and I always, now I look back and I remember how when food got really scarce, Mom was never hungry, you know. She always made sure that we ate or we got, and she, she would say, oh, no, I'm not hungry. Really? We haven't eaten? Yeah. 
And we think back now and we go, wow. You see, yeah, this, this is not going to be real marketable, but I want to tell you this is true. I absolutely believe it. You and I get a chance to suffer for Jesus. We get a chance to go through stuff for Jesus. And our commitment will determine whether or not we will do it or not. Our commitment to Christ comes back to whether or not I'm willing to suffer for Jesus. Number four, the height of our success is established by the strength of our endurance. The height of our success, I guess somewhere, somehow, somebody might stumble into success and really have a great life and accomplish great things for God and for eternity and for for the people without, but I, I doubt it. The height of our success will always come back to how much we can endure, and how much we can endure will always come back to the level of our commitment. When you talk to a person who has excelled greatly, you look at a person who's done great things for God, you're going to find someone, I'm convinced of this, that's got some war stories. You're going to find someone... You'll, fi- you'll si- find a person who went through very difficult persecution and came out on the other side still faithful to God. The, the height of our success will be established by the strength of, of our endurance. Spiritual warfare, if it indeed is spiritual warfare, if you and I are succeeding, again, not in terms of dollars and cents and stuff and junk of this world, but we are succeeding in the eyes of God It means there's a target on our back that the enemy wants to stop us and we're going to engage in spiritual warfare. And spiritual warfare guarantees we get a chance to test the strength of our endurance. And what? That strength is created by our commitment. Number five, our credibility with God depends on our credibility, the credibility of our commitment. Our credibility with God depends on the credibility of of our commitment. What we commit to, we do with excellence. And God requires nothing less of our walk with Him. What we commit to, we do with excellence. And when you're committed to Christ, it's just like if you you go into college and you do great, it's because you're committed to that education. If you go into a job and you excel, it's because you're committed to that job. If you go into a career, whatever, and God knows. You go into a marriage and it becomes a great marriage. It's because there was a commitment there to make it great, right? And if our commitment is to have any any credibility, God has to look at it and say, this commitment that they have to me is very, very honoring and reverential to me. So God is looking at our commitments. And he's seeing, where do we fit with him? Where, where does he fit into this? And here's something, and, and, I, and I will wrap this up. I know you're listening to the storm hit the outside. It's going to be very, very, very radical, but thoroughly biblical. Nothing in our life should compete with our commitment to Jesus Christ. He should be the highest and holiest and greatest 
commitment. So I don't offer to God my leftovers. When I have run myself ragged and I have no more energy, say, God, what little is left of me, I give you that. No, 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 no. God, my commitment to God, if it's going to have any credibility, it's going to have to say, God is first. God is first. And I believe in making commitments to your family. I believe in making commitments, God knows, to your spouse, to your kids, to your job. But first and foremost, God wants a commitment out of us to serve him. To serve him with integrity. To serve him with excellence. To put our best foot forward. To say, if I don't have time for anything else, God, I'll have time for you. Amen? If I don't have time to accomplish anything else, I will have time to accomplish your purpose and your will for my life. I'm going to ask you to stand with me now. I'm going to just take a few moments and hopefully sort of pray this into our spirit. Sometimes I'm amazed at how sermons work out, you know. You start preaching and, and, a, and a certain title winds up to fall on just the right day. And I will admit this morning I, I kind of had the opposite effect. I thought, why am I preaching commitment to a bunch of people who braved a blizzard to be here? You see what I'm saying? Preaching on commitment to people who have literally uh, braved pending snowstorm to be here but somehow some way in your spirit in your life god wants to take you and elevate you to greater success as he defines it and i'm just here to tell you today that that staircase from where you are to where he wants you is a thing called commitment god needs you to be more committed to his word he's got to get more of his word in you God needs you to be more committed to your prayer life. He's got to spend more time with you to change you the way you need to be changed. God needs you to commit to responding to your world in a more godly way, a more spiritual way, a more unnatural way. And that's the commitment that you have to make, that we have to make to get there. Let's pray. Father, help us run toward commitment. Help us chase after commitment. Help us, Lord, to never undermine our future by running away from commitments, godly commitments, good commitments. Help us never to put ourselves in a position that our potential is being lost because we're afraid to simply unconditionally put our life in your hands and walk out our faith in faithfulness. I'm asking you, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would stir every one of us and give us an excitement about being more committed to you, more surrendered to you, deeper in who you are. And Father, we celebrate that. And Lord, I ask you in these coming hours to bring this back to our minds, that we'll remember and think and ponder that your people would even begin to think, God, what are some ways I could elevate my commitment to you? And Lord, we praise you for the work you're doing.
God bless you. Please meditate on what we shared today. I want to let you go, get ahead of the storm. We'll see you next week. Hopefully it'll be sun shining at least 60 next time. God bless.